The Trinity is everywhere, mind, body, and soul, modeled by all three persons of the Trinity, the Trinity existing in each person of the Trinity, and the Trinity lives in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and is meant to be offered, meant to be in service to the kingdom of God through that Trinity of mind, body, and soul that we have. So I know we always start these episodes with a dad joke, and uh, I was searching and searching and searching this week, and I just could not find one. I really wanted to find a joke about an elevator. I just, I, I really like jokes about elevators. I just think they work on a lot of levels. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 177. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you will also rate and review this podcast because it will help other people find it. You can find all of our content on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our social media. While you're there, click on the subscribe button. You can get our weekly Psalm Reflection emailed to you every Wednesday morning. And you can also click on the Give button if you feel so inclined and you're able to contribute to the cost of this podcast by becoming a patron. It does cost money to host and to record and for all the equipment and things like that that we go through or the things that we use. So anyway, it would be really wonderful for you to do that, and we'd appreciate it. Highest compliment you can pay us is to share this episode and this podcast with a family or friend. And so please do that. And if you do it on social media, make sure you tag us on Instagram at Man of Food for Thought. But without further ado, welcome. Let's get into our joy, junk, and Jesus. Um, my joy is that I got to have a guy's trip with my group of guy friends from childhood and high school. Um, there's a core group of us that have just been friends for a long time. And uh, we got to go to San Diego this weekend and just um, you know celebrate one of our, our friends' birthdays and <clears throat> just enjoy a nice relaxing weekend together. So that was really fun. Um, and it was also a very lively weekend. Um, you know, started RCIA at the parish started, or we had a local, uh, carnival that our parish had a booth at. And so, uh, just a lot of great time with people. Um, my junk is that, um, it was very hot <laughs> yesterday when that, uh, carnival was happening and we we're doing RCIA and it was just, I don't do well in the heat, so I was a little miserable, but, um, and then everything leading up to this week of RCIA has been, has been a lot, the workload, getting things done before the trip, um, had to have some, some hard conversations or deal with some issues, uh, in ministry this past week. So, um, yeah, but things are coming together. So, um, yeah, my Jesus moment really was just all of that coming together for RCIA, we have triple the amount of people in RCIA that we did last year. And last year was not necessarily a small group. It was kind of an average size group. Um, and more and more people coming to join the team, new people who, um, who I know are really solid and good and faithful, who I trust. So, um, and I'm very excited for that. So yeah, just continue to pray for me and for all of them, all those people who are at this time of year discerning their, their kind of path of faith and entering the church. Um, so yeah, apart from them, I, I have four other people I'm preparing privately for different sacraments and that might increase by one or two. Um, so there's just, yeah, a lot of, uh, spiritual revival going on. Um, just at least in, in the, the Catholic part of the world that I'm experiencing. So, which is my little nook in this little town at this church. So, but it's really beautiful. Anyway, uh, let's get into our episode for this week. It's uh, always based on the second the second reading for this upcoming Sunday, which is the 22nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. And the second reading comes from Romans chapter 12, a very famous couple of verses, verses 1 and 2. Um, and again, Paul is writing to the Romans a multi-ethnic, multicultural 
group of new Christians, both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, uh, trying to bring in their uh, their background, their previous traditions, and trying to kind of figure out how these two and and many other types of very different groups of people are all coming together in Christianity and what stays, what goes, what's most important, what's central to the teachings of Christianity. And so um, Paul is, has been doing that all throughout Romans. Um, and so we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, making sure everything has its core in the faith and that, um, you know, it's about that relationship with the Lord. And this uh, Romans chapter 12 is about, um, you know, making that self-offering and uh, making sure that we are actually being transformed. We're not just going through the motions um, or doing things that are comfortable uh, or that everyone else is doing. Um, Jesus calls us to be set apart. That's what the word holy means. And so this uh, verse, so these verses are often quoted in regard to that. So uh, this is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be, do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you know this podcast and you know me, you'll know, uh, and you were paying attention here, you'll know probably what I'm going to draw out of this. So I'm going to draw a few phrases out of this. Um, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, spiritual worship, and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, we have a passage here talking about the integration and the need for growth in all areas of who we are, soul, body, and mind. And I want to especially focus on this, this offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, because you know, like, I don't, how do I articulate this? But like in, in the Old Testament, God is often accusing the people basically of spiritual adultery, that they are divorcing themselves from their relationship with God and they are worshiping idols. They are bowing down to things that are not of God. And it's not that making an image of God is bad. It's about making a graven image or an idol of things on this earth and elevating them to the level of God. Because, you know, Moses is ordered by God to craft the bronze serpent, to make the tabernacle, to make the temple, or he doesn't make the temple, but later they make the temple and adorn it with all of these images of earthly things, like things that are supposed to harken back to the Garden of Eden and paradise and this connection that we're meant to have with God. And so, if things are holy and good and lead us toward heaven, they are not bad images to make. It's when they go from icon, which an icon is like a representative uh, of an image of something else, to an idol. And it just made me think about the fact that like the reason why idolatry in the Old Testament was so kind of ridiculous is because we are idols of God. We are icons of God. We are made in his image and likeness. If there's anything on this earth that most resembles the Lord, it's us. And not that we should be bowing down and worshiping ourselves or each other, but we should be recognizing that what we've been given, the life that we have, our mind, our body, and soul can all be offered, can all be 
used as acts of worship or as indicators, pointing the way to the one we represent. Just like an icon hung in a church, beautifully painted, uh, depicting a saint or uh, you know Jesus or Mary or Joseph, whatever it is, are meant to call us into deeper relationship with the person so that they will pray for us, or if that person is Jesus himself, so that his salvation can be made known in our life, so that we will have uh, a, a relationship with him, be able to grow in that gift of faith that only he can give, and the gift of salvation that we cannot earn, but only he won for us on the cross. And so that's what an icon is meant to do. That's what a proper idol is meant to do. And, you know, an idol in the bad sense is something that takes the place of God. But really, like, you know, an icon is, in essence, it's a, it's a proper idol. Because we're meant to idolize God. We are meant to allow him to be first and foremost and to bow down to him and offer him worship. But it's when things falsely represent him or distract us from him. The incident of the golden calf in um, Exodus or Numbers, wherever it is, it's escaping me, but, you know, when they're wandering in the desert, I believe it's in Exodus, um, is, is not an act of pagan idolatry. It's often falsely depicted that way. What happens is that Moses goes up into the presence of God, whose Shekinah glory cloud, his presence, the presence of God is literally visible there on the top of Mount Sinai. And the people down below, they have no idea what to do. And so Aaron has them bring all of their gold and their earrings and melts them down and forms this golden calf. And they bow down and worship to the calf in an attempt to worship God. They're trying to make God into an image that they can worship because this idea of imagery and idolatry is so ingrained in them because of the time they spent in Egypt that they don't know how to worship a God that's right in front of them. But it's not that they made the idol. It's that the idol distracted them from the actual presence of God in front of them. Now, there are other forms of idolatry in the Old Testament where they're making an idol to a false god or they're bowing down to an idol that is not God. But in that instance, what they were trying to do, if you read the context, is that they were trying to worship the one true God, but they were doing it in not the right way. And so those are different forms of idolatry. But in reality, what they were trying to do was make an icon of God, but God was already present, visible before them. Now, today, we don't have the Shekinah glory cloud of God flowing around or a temple to see that presence in, where it's visible to us. And so it helps us to have icons and artistic depictions of God to help focus our mind and our heart during prayer. But the best icon that there is of the presence of God is us. We are made in his image and likeness, like it says in Genesis chapter 1. We are made in his image and likeness, crafted by him to represent him, to be his representatives in the world. That is who we are. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We're meant to point to the true God. All other idols are false. They make no sense. Nor should we as idols inspire us to self-worship. And so when this reading is talking about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, talking about spiritual worship, to me it's speaking of this fact that like, yes, body, soul, mind, they're all united, but they're all meant to orient us and others toward God because we are an icon of God. We're meant to point to him. So for instance, 
like the church teaches that that um, marriage is the is a foretaste of heaven. Okay, and so in a marriage, two people they offer their bodies, they put them on the line in the highest act of love and sacrifice possible for one another. They're willing to sacrifice themselves, blood, sweat, suffering for one another. And so church, the church teaches marriage is a foretaste of heaven, not that we're idolizing marriage or that marriage is the only path for people, but showing them that there's nothing closer on earth to the intimacy, unity, and sacrificial love that God has for us than is uh, experienced visibly in a marriage. However, the supernatural vocations, like the church teaches that marriage, everyone is naturally ordered to the vocation of marriage because we're created with complementary biology and sexual desires that complement one another and create life when they're entered into in the way that God designed. And so all of us are naturally ordered to that by our biology. But some have the supernatural calling to set that aside and sacrifice it for things like the priesthood or the religious life or the chaste life. And those things are not as visible to us, so we don't see the actual love and unity as clearly. That's why marriage is called the foretaste of heaven. But they are supernatural in the sense that they are putting aside the earthly experience of that relationship and pointing toward the fact that these people are meant to be icons of God. They're meant to be icons of God. The priest is meant to be an icon of God. He works in persona Christi when he's administering the sacraments. Like he's meant to be an icon of Christ. And so all of these things from the way the church works, from the way that we're created, from the way that we enter into marriage and relationship and sacrifice for one another are images of heaven and of the sacrificial love that God has for us, that he demonstrated for us by becoming man and dying for us on the cross. And so when we enter into acts of sacrifice, when we think about the love that we have for God and the love that he has for us and what he's inviting us into, we can look at our bodies as an offering, a living sacrifice, and ask ourselves, am I living up to this relationship? Am I actually laying my life down? Or is my spouse the one doing all of the work and I'm kind of leaving them hanging high and dry? And so when you think about all of those ways in a marriage that people offer their bodies to one another in the act of sex itself, uh, in pregnancy, a mother offering her body to grow this child in the act of childbirth, in breastfeeding, in the skin-to-skin contact that you need to have with a child. You're offering that time, your warmth, you know, your presence, your comfort to that child. And just the act of parenthood itself and the sacrifice that that entails. Um, you know, ensuring that you have a long life, that you are not um, doing things that are irresponsible, but you're taking care of your body, what you eat. Uh, your exercise, your nutrition, so you'll stay around for your spouse and for your children. All of these are ways we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for the relationship on earth that our church teaches is a foretaste of heaven. And so if we're meant to offer our living body, our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, the highest relationship in our life, then we need to look at some of those kind of sacrificial acts and sacrificial relationships like marriage and all of the energy and time and, and sacrifice those require and ask, am I doing that for the Lord? Am I offering that to the Lord in worship, in service, in sacrifice, so that I can live in such a way to glorify him? John 15, Jesus says in his uh, discourses during the Last Supper, he says, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he tells them, you are my friends 
if you do what I command you. If we are obedient to God, if we have faith in him, that sacrifice, we receive it, we accept it, it applies to us and saves us. It gives us a new life. Just as if we're obedient to marriage vows in a marriage, we enter into that union, a whole new life and lifestyle is created in the act of marriage. We don't go back to being how we were before. We're not just back to boyfriend and girlfriend or fiancés. We're now husband and wife. And that comes with sacrifice. It comes with greater responsibility. And it comes with daily invitations and opportunities to lay down our own desires, our own wants, our own independence for one another. And the more that family grows, the more abundant it becomes, the more children you have, the more life goes on, the more self-denial is necessary in order to love your family well. Because if I was just, if my idea of being a dad was just doing whatever I wanted, uh, I want to have all the time still, I want to go make my own decisions, make my own choices. I mean, I would basically just hire someone else to raise my children. And my wife and I would just function as independent people and we'd see each other when we desired. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of marriages work. That's how a lot of marriages in, in the part of the country where I live especially work that I see because of wealth and affluence and people very concerned with their image, their job, power, money, control, that their schedule and success takes precedence and priority over marriage and family. And that's why so many marriages fall apart. Jesus, he offered himself for us as an act of love. Paul writes this in Colossians 1. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. And this is one of the most difficult passages for people to interpret because Paul is saying here, something is apparently lacking in the suffering of Christ. But if we look at salvation, it was what Christ did was more than sufficient to save us. So what could possibly be lacking? What's lacking, brothers and sisters, is our need to participate in his suffering. Because what Paul is saying here is he's rejoicing in his sufferings, because he's filling up what is lacking. He's able to offer his sufferings on behalf of others. He's taking that sacrificial example of God, and he is doing it himself for the sake of the church, for the sake of other people, offering himself. Not just a work of the soul, but the physical work of the body, the physical and mental work of the mind. As it says in the passage, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So all three of these things present in the passage, mind, body, and soul, all of which need to be transformed, all of which need to be acts of worship offered to the Lord, all of which need to be things that we sacrifice and offer to the Lord so that they can be offered to others. And so in the renewal of your mind, are you learning your faith? Are you teachable? Are you able to take criticism and learn how you can better respond to the gift of faith, how you can better serve people? Are you reading? Are you doing spiritual reading? Are you spending time in reflection? The body, are you staying healthy? Are you fasting? Are you suffering well for the sake of others? Are you making your work holy? Are you inviting the Lord into your physical work? The things you do on a daily basis, not only your, your actual job, but your household chores, your errands. Are you offering yourself time to rest? Not so that you can just go do more work, but to recognize that we work so that we can rest, so that we can rest in the Lord and spend that time with those who we, who we love. And the soul, falling in love with Jesus every single day, praying, committing to daily prayer, 
are we doing those things, brothers and sisters? Because if we want to be holy, if we want to be set apart, if we want to be church and answer the call of faith, we need to do these things. We need to devote our entire selves, offer our entire selves to God, mind, body, and soul. If one is lacking, it will affect the others. There is balance in three. And just like God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you yourself are a trinity of mind, body, and soul, all of which are made in the image and likeness of God and are meant to be offered back to God. And if you think about it, all these are present in the trinity themselves. Mind, body, and soul. God the Father is all-knowing, mind. He's all-powerful, body, the strength. Even though he doesn't have a body, it emulates the body. He's all-present. He's animating everything, the soul. Jesus, he's called the Logos, the mind of God. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the actual body of Christ in the Eucharist. Jesus ensouls us when we receive him in the Eucharist, and his divine presence dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of knowledge, our mind. It makes us one body in Christ as the church, the body. And in the soul, the Spirit dwells in us and animates us to go out, to use our gifts, to share and defend the faith. The Trinity is everywhere, mind, body, and soul, modeled by all three persons of the Trinity, the Trinity existing in each person of the Trinity, and the Trinity lives in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and is meant to be offered, meant to be in service to the kingdom of God through that Trinity of mind, body, and soul that we have, that we were created in the image and likeness of God with. And so, I know I've made so many episodes about this reality of mind, body, and soul, but I feel like they're all a little bit different, and they're all come around often enough to challenge us to ask the question, which one of these in my life is lacking? Am I doing something every day to invest and grow in my mind, my body, and my soul? Because that really, brothers and sisters, is the way to a balanced and fruitful life and relationship with the Lord. Because we can focus all we want on prayer and checking the spiritual boxes, But if we're not taking care of our bodies, offering ourselves and our labor, our work to the Lord, if we're not learning about our faith, transforming our mind, then that those spiritual acts will only go so far and they'll probably just result in scrupulosity or just going through the motions. And then we'll end up appearing to others just to be hypocrites who go to church every week, but they don't do anything different in their mind, their body, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they speak. And that will cause scandal. That will not inspire others to faith. And so wherever you are balanced or you are um, feeling an imbalance in these areas, brothers and sisters, myself too, we're all being invited right now into an opportunity to ask, where can I grow? How can I offer my mind, my body, my soul as a living sacrifice, as spiritual worship, as a place of transformation and renewal? And so brothers and sisters, I pray when you hear this reading proclaimed this Sunday and as you reflect on it throughout this week, That's something that you can challenge yourself to do and ask, where can I grow mind, body, and soul in my relationship with the Lord? And how can I offer those in service to others, and especially as an act of sacrifice and service to the Lord? Constantly being transformed and renewed in all of those areas. Because when we do that, we live a life worthy of imitation. We live a life where others will ask, what is it that you're doing? Or what is it that you have that I don't? Because there's something about you in your life that I want. And then instead of acting like idols, where we sit down and worship ourselves and tell them how great we are, we act as icons and we point to God, whose glorious presence is still here, but maybe not as visible to us in the way it was in the Old Testament, because there are 7 billion examples of his presence everywhere we go. 
that every single person is an icon of God. That's who they're created to be, who they're designed to be. And if we live out of that image and likeness of God, then we will cause others to see him. That's all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. I pray that blesses you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.